We're continuing on in the book of Acts, chapter 28. So this is the last chapter in the book of Acts. And we read last time how they had all gotten to shore safely from the shipwreck. Now let's pick it up from Acts chapter 28, verse 1. And when they had brought, been brought safely through, then we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had set in and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. And the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, and they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly, this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had not seen anything unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously, Three days, And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in a bed, afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he had prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed and at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship. Okay. So, here they had landed in Malta. So they had spent about 14 days sailing through a storm. And then they went through a shipwreck. Then they, they have to swim to shore. They get to shore. And it says that in verse, in verse uh, 2, that that uh, uh, there was rain because of the rain that had set in and the cold. So there was a cold rain. So you'd think that that would be enough. Couldn't that be enough? It's cold, it's rainy, we've just come through a shipwreck, 14 days of all this turmoil. And now a viper has to come out. And of all the people to bite, remember you have 273 people were, were on that ship. Of all the people to bite, it happens to bite Paul. And you'd think that, all right, here's the Christian guy. Why does it have to bite him? Why couldn't it bite, you know, one of the real criminals among, among the hundred or so prisoners? And so the natives, when they see this, they make a judgment call. They say, okay, he must be terribly guilty. Because though he survived this shipwreck, God won't allow him to, to live. He's not been allowed to live, and so he's going to die. And then he, so they wrongly assess this thing. And then, he doesn't fall down dead, and they make another wrong assessment. They assume he's a god. And so they made two wrong assessments. And as Christians, we do this all the time also. We see people going through things, and we think, wow, this is probably coming upon them because they've sinned. Well, no, they might have not sinned. They might have just been, you know, throwing firewood on a fire, and a viper came out. And so we have to be really careful about assessments that we make and judgments 
that we make among people. But what was interesting is in verse 2. It says, the natives showed extraordinary kindness. Now remember, think about what's happening here. There's a shipwreck, 273 people come on shore. You have a hundred soldiers. You have, I don't know, a hundred or so prisoners. And you have 70 or so, something in, in, in this general region, um, sailors. Now, sailors, remember, are not, you know, probably the most cultured of people. And neither are soldiers, generally the most cultured of people. And certainly prisoners aren't generally the most cultured of people. And one could think, well, look at all those people coming here. They're going to mess up our island. Malta's a really small island, and 273 people can have a big effect. They're going to really mess up our island. And plus, look at all these prisoners. They might escape. And how much trouble it's going to be. Let's just alienate these people and let them know, okay, you're on the beach. Stay there. We don't want you coming any closer. But interestingly, it says, they showed extraordinary kindness. Because it was cold and because it was raining. They showed not just extraordinary kindness to Paul, but to everyone. So they lit fires to get everybody warm. These were unusually gracious people. They showed hospitality to these people that weren't the easiest to show hospitality to. This is what they did. Well, what does it get them? Well, look, if you look on further, it says in verse 7, there was in the neighborhood of those lands, it, it was belonging to the, there was a place belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. So now, it, it says that they, nearby there was some land owned by the leading guy of, of, of this place. His name was Publius. I don't know if this is the governor or the mayor or what you call him the leading man of the island, and he entertained them for three days. Again, amazing hospitality. To people who aren't the most cultured of people, people who are cold and dirty and upset and angry and confused and sick, he entertains them for three days, courteously. For three days. It wasn't, well, all right, I'll, I'll be nice. No, it says he entertained them courteously for three days. And so it happens that Publius' father is sick. And so Paul says, can I visit him? And, and uh, there, there's, there's something, in fact, as I've looked into this, there's something in Malta known today as the Maltese fever. It comes, they, they believe, from from goat's milk, the goats that live on that island, so people are often sick on that island. Whether this is what he had, we don't know, but he certainly says he had dysentery, which is a very unpleasant thing. And so, Paul goes and he prays for this man. And then he lays his hands on him and he's healed. And it's interesting, it was Paul. Remember, Paul was traveling with Luke, who wrote this, and with Aristarchus, so his two traveling companions. And it says, after this happened, the rest of the island started coming. And they started getting cured of their diseases. The word cured in verse 9 is different than the word healed in verse 8. Not just in the English different, but in the Greek different. 
The word in verse not in verse eight means this this curing this type of thing where there's an immediate sort of thing. The one in verse nine is more of a therapeutic, a gradual healing. But nevertheless, the people received back something. They received healing. They showed hospitality, and healing came to their land. Verse ten. And it says, and they honored us with many marks of respect. Now, come on. Respect? Why these people? Can you imagine a hundred hundred Haitian refugees coming ashore? A hundred of them. And they only got ashore because they were all criminals. So so the Haitian government let them loose. Or like what happened with Cuba. A hundred Cubans. It says they showed them enormous hospitality and respect. Something about hospitality and the receipt of blessing that comes from hospitality. We are told as believers to have a practice of hospitality. Look in in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. It's giving a list of things that we ought to be about as believers. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Reading now from verse 11, Romans 12:11. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Believers are supposed to have a practice of hospitality. That means that I practice hospitality. It is not an occasional thing that I do if it happens to come up. I'll happen to be hospitable and say, hello, how are you? Hospitality means that you are doing something for somebody else and you make a practice of it. When I was in graduate school, I used to have the guys on the floor in the room, into my room, and I didn't have much. But my uncle, who owned a, a, a uh, food company, would always send me, because he, he lived in, in a city about an hour away, and, and he, if I visited him, he would give me new things that they were developing. So he would give me, like, th- these new gourmet hot chocolate. And I would serve hot chocolate in the room to guys in the room. That's all I had, but that was hospitality. And, and, uh, and so then, look what God did. He gave me a wife who is the epitome of hospitality. That woman does not rest until she's doing something for somebody else. And, and uh, um, you know, th- this morning I, I, I saw one lady in the church and I said, Oh, that's a nice outfit. She said, Yeah, your wife gave it to me. Said, oh, no wonder why I like that outfit. And my wife, my wife has this habit of doing things where she just buys things for people and gives them things. And, and uh, this is just what she does. If she knows that, that uh, just even when we were in graduate school, we, we had just gotten married and, and moved to, to the university and we had all our, our wedding gifts in boxes and stuff. We got there. The next day she meets this woman who's from Pakistan who just got married herself. And they had nothing. And that next day she said, let's pack up some boxes. So our wedding gifts, 
are going into boxes and wondering what's going on. And we go over to this other couple's home. We were graduate students. We had nothing. We were as poor as you are poor. We were as poor then as you are poor now. Right? We had nothing. I had a little bit of a stipend, a little bit. And I had a wife now I had to support on that stipend. And we pile up these boxes and with blankets and dishes and blenders and things. And we took it to their house and she gave them all to this couple. This Pakistani couple, she just gave them all. This is the way she is. The woman knows hospitality. This is just the way she is. I'm not asking you to be like her. Because you, you, you'll just burn out if you don't have this extreme gift. That happens to be an extreme gift that she has. But we are all to have a practice. I know how to practice hospitality. A practice means that you set aside a day. We've known young couples to say, okay, we will set aside a day each month that we're going to invite in some friends from our workplace and have dinner in our home. So as a young couple, they would, they would set aside a day a month. That is a practice of hospitality. That is a good thing. It learns you, learns, you learn to be hospitable. You learn to give. You learn to be gracious. And you receive back so much more. I was just speaking with some graduate students. I was visiting Stanford this, this past week, last week, and I was talking to them. They, they were asking about what it's like to be an assistant professor and how do you build a career. I, t- I told them what I did is I used to invite in the most famous people Famous other professors, I would invite them to the university to speak. And I was just a young assistant professor. And I would have them over my house for dinner. Because these would be the people that will ultimately be reviewing my proposals, that would be writing possible, if I could get them to write letters of recommendation for me. And I knew, if they saw my wife, if they saw my my little children there, that they would always think well of me. Can you imagine how they would feel if they write a bad review on a proposal? After having seen my wife and my little kids and broken bread with us at our table, we received back many times over program managers, people who fund from the different agencies. When they came through the university, I would have them to my home for dinner. You have people to your home. It is different than taking them to a restaurant. When they're in your home, something else happens. You say, well, I'm not very good at cooking. Well, go out and get some food and bring them in your home. Let your home be used for the Lord's work, and you will be greatly blessed. Let your home be used, you'll be greatly blessed. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 2, and in Titus 1, 8, it says the overseer, that means the person who wants to be a pastor, must be hospitable. They must be. I have been in pastor's homes where I was invited to a pastor's house to speak with a pastor, and this was many years ago, and I visited his home and I talked with him for two and a half hours. His wife was there and his son was there. Never once did he even offer me a glass of water. I remember that after all these years. The man was a great teacher, but he did not know hospitality. Didn't even offer me a glass of water. I mean, for two and a half hours, you know, talk with me. I remember that. Jesus said, if you give to one of these little ones a cold water, a cup of cool water in my name, you'll not lose your reward. There is a reward that comes through hospitality. Look in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Reading from verse 2. 
Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Without knowing it. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. You even show hospitality to strangers. When we were in graduate school, we were newly married, we would have a dinner every week in our home and we'd invite people in. We'd invite people in. We, we must have been far more than once a week, but we had dinners every week at least and we'd invite people in. Many times we targeted international students to have them in our home. And I had met many the first year that I was in graduate school. I was living in the graduate dormitory. And then the second year when I was married, many of these international students that I had met in the dormitory, I'd have them now in my new home for dinner. We received so much back by doing this. To this day, when, when students come into our home, we receive back so much blessing. They receive back healing. The Maltese receive back healing for their people. Publius got his father healed. We received back healing. Now, many students that have come through our, this Sunday school class, come into our home many times for lunch, have gone through medical school, and now are real live physicians practicing, and they be, are practicing in Houston, and they take care of us. Any hour of the day or night, we can make a phone call, and these students come running back to take care of us. They make house calls. If our kids are sick, they make house calls. They wouldn't think of charging us wouldn't think of it. And they just come. We are so greatly blessed. You, you know, I, I'm afraid to say it, but my calculus skills are not as sharp as they used to be. So when one of my kids comes to me and says, you know, here, help me with my calculus, I'm like, oh, no, no. And I'm, I'm, say, let me see the book. And I'm looking back through the book trying to remember how to do these things. It's been a while. You, you get kind of rusty. You say, well, don't I use calculus in my work all the time. But I'm at such a level, I never have to do it. I just grab a student and say, hey, solve this, you know, (laughs) figure this out and bring me back the results. This is part of what you've got to do. And you have to do this because there's too much coming. Can you imagine if I'm sitting there trying to, you know, solve integrals? I wouldn't be able to be out there doing what I have to do. So you leave this to the people that eat that kind of stuff for lunch. I mean, they just do this all the time. And so when students come and I say, hey, sit down with my son and teach him calculus for an hour. This blesses us tremendously. This is good for us to, to have this sort of thing. So we get back many, many times over. Look in Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, sometimes I wish, I wish Jesus could speak more emphatically and speak more directly. Look in Matthew chapter 25. But when the Son of... Reading from verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes... In his glory, and all his angels with him. That's Matthew 25, verse 31. Then he will sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? 
When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. They themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of these, the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Could he have been more emphatic about this? He says, you are getting in to my kingdom because of the hospitality that you have shown to others. You fed them, you clothed them, you visited them when they were sick and in prison. You others are not getting in because you didn't do this. You say, well, that sounds like a works gospel to me. I am just reading the scriptures. You take that up with the Lord if you have a problem with this. Jesus, in fact, said, verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Whoa! You're talking about eternity here? Could Jesus have been more explicit and more emphatic? Could he have been? I don't see. I mean, how? He says, you're going into hellfire forever. Why? Well, because you never took care of me. Well, when did we see you? Well, when you didn't take care of the least of these. When you didn't show hospitality to strangers. When you didn't visit and clothe and take care of. This is pretty strong words, isn't it? I mean, this is the Lord Jesus, you know, the nice guy. He comes and loves the disciples and loves people and loves the sinners. Look what he says. Look at what he says. These are strong words. God has called believers to hospitality. You say, well, that's not my gift. Too bad. The Bible doesn't say you have to have the spiritual gift to, 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 to practice hospitality. He says, practice hospitality. And he gives grace for whatever he calls us to. We are to be gracious. We are to be giving. You will have a home someday. Let your, be home, your, let your home be used for the Lord. Look in, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 18. There was a man named Abraham. He really knew hospitality. And let's see what he got out of this. Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> Reading from verse 1. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. When he lifted up his eyes and he looked, behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and he bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and, your, and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a piece of bread. 
that you may refresh yourselves. After that, you may go on, since you have visited your servant. And they said, so do as you have said. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah, and he said, quickly, prepare three measures of fine flour, knead it, and make bread cakes. Abraham also ran to the herd and took a tender and choice calf and made it, and gave it to the servant, and and he hurried to prepare it. He took curds and milk and, a ca- and the calf which he had prepared, and he placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. Okay, so here is Abraham. He's sitting in front of his tent door. Three men come passing by. Whether he recognized them as angels, we don't particularly know. One of them was, in fact, turned out to be the Lord himself, was walking with these other two. And it says, when he lifted up his eyes, he says, he beheld three men standing opposite him. He ran, he bowed to the earth, and he welcomed them in. Men in the Middle East do not generally run. They do not generally run. And that is why when Jesus was giving the, the parable of the, the uh, uh, prodigal son, and the prodigal son is coming back, and the father ran to meet him, this was such a profound thing that the man would run. Moses, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Abraham ran out to meet these men and he bows to the earth and he says, please don't pass by without staying here. Gracious man, inviting them in. He says, please let a little water be brought for your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. So in other words, come rest, let your feet be washed. So Abraham's got this nice tree, a nice tree out in the out in the hot area is a nice thing to have. And, and so he says, come sit under this tree. I kind of claim this tree, even though I'm a nomad, n- nomad here. But come and s- sit under this tree. He says, let me bring you a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you can go. Since you visited your servant. And they said, so do as you've said. So he said, come sit under the tree. Come let your feet be washed. And let me bring you a little bread. And they said, okay, that'll be all right. And what does he do? He runs to Sarah, his wife, and he says, make the bread. But then he goes and he gets a calf. The best one he has, he says, cook it up. He doesn't say, say, oh, these stinking strangers. We're going to give them something. Sarah, get the leftovers from last night. No, he says he gets his best calf. He says to the servant, prepare it. And he gets milk and curds. And he serves it. So remember what he, he told them. Let me get you a little bread. He doesn't want them to be overwhelmed. But then, when he goes, he gets this huge spread for them. He goes above and beyond the call of duty. Above and beyond the call of graciousness. He does it for these people. This man understood hospitality. And he was such a gracious man, it says, that he prepared it, he placed it before them, and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So they're sitting there eating, and he's standing by there. Can we get you anything else? What do you need? You know, he is going to make sure that these people get served. This is a great man, Abraham. It says Abraham was a wealthy man, a very wealthy man. Remember, Abraham could, you know, gather up his, just the, his servants and attack armies. That's how many people he had. He was a very wealthy man. But he got involved in the serving of these three strangers that are walking by. Well, what did Abraham get out of it? Verse 9. Then he said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, There in the tent. And he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. 
And Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was beyond childbearing. That's a pretty good deal. You serve three people a meal and you get a a son. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? When you show hospitality, God rewards you in return. You don't always know what it's going to be, but you are going to receive something in return when you show hospitality. We are called to hospitality. We are called to be hospitable. We are called to let the other person eat first. This is what we are called to. We are called to invite others over and let them have first. So that if it means that we won't get because they're eating first, that's what it means. We need to learn to be gracious and giving and hospitable. If we are not, we are the ones. We are the ones that lose out. If we are gracious and hospitable, we are the ones that are truly blessed over and over and over again. You know, sometimes my, my, my children, my own children would say, how come, how come we, we, we have to have Sunday lunch like this with people in the house all the time? So what, what would you like to do? So why can't we just go out to a restaurant and have brunch like every normal family? I said, do you think that that would grow old after a while? Just looking at each other every week without having all these other people around? I said, Mom and I want to be gracious and share with others. Well, interestingly enough, now one of them is married with her own home. What does she do? Every, every day after church service, she and her husband have people over to give. These things are taught in this way. Sometimes we want to, we want to rebel against it, but these are good truths that are learned that we can teach others, that we can teach our children by demonstrating these sort of things. This is a good thing to do, and it is a practice, meaning that, oh, well, if anybody happens to knock, then I'll invite them in. No, you have a practice of hospitality, where you go out, you set a period where you say, once a month, we're going to have people in our home. Once a month, we're going to do something for other people that stretches us, that makes us go beyond ourselves, that costs us Something. It costs us something. Because the Lord will return to us many, many times over in something far more valuable than we ever could have imagined. Shireen is gone now, so I, I can share all of this openly. We, I lived in a discipleship house with, with nine other Christian guys. And so... We were asked, as a discipleship house, we had to eat together as guys in a house. You can imagine ten college guys saying, you've got to eat together. And we would take turns cooking and take turns doing the dishes. And you think of coordinating this with college students that have you know, classes and homework. No, you know, you, we commit to having meals together. And, and so we would have meals together. But in the summers, we were on our own because half the guys in the house would leave and, and, and it, was, it was more chaotic. And so we never had good meals in the summertime. And, and there was a, a covered dish. We, the, the church used to have this covered dish meal where people would bring food every, 
every uh, fourth Sunday of the month or something. And Shireen's family got mixed up and brought all this food, and it wasn't one of those days that the church was having this meal. So we in the house said, oh, well, you could come to our house. It's right over here by the church and <laughs> just share it together. So we were glad to have them come into the house. And so they were sharing their food with us. We opened our home to them, and we were sitting there talking. And then my job in the house that summer was to do dishes. So I go in the, in the kitchen to do dishes. And we, by the way, there was a, a girls' discipleship house just a few houses down from the guys' discipleship house. And we would occasionally get together and share meals. You know, the, the elders thought it was a good thing. You know, we, And so whenever the girls would come to the guys' house, we would have this meal together and the guys would go in and do the dishes. Whenever the guys would go over to the girls' house and we'd eat together, the guys would go in and do the dishes. And there was a, it, it was in, in the 1970s, and, and women were trying to show that, you know, real women don't have to do dishes. You know, now people are kind of past that sort of thing. But at the time, the guys would do the dishes in both places because we were Christian guys, and we were spitting and cursing about it the whole way and doing the dishes. So we were going to do the dishes. So anyway, I went in to do the dishes, and I saw Shireen doing the dishes. And I said to her, you can go now. It's my job to do the dishes. And she said to me, I like doing dishes. <laughs> you like doing dishes? My heart started pounding. I'm telling you, I don't know. Have any of you guys ever met a young lady and then your heart starts pounding? You feel it in your chest? Has this ever happened to anyone? Of course. Of course. There's a man who's not afraid to say it. Anyone else? Where you just feel your heart just pounding? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, there you go. There's... So it still happens these days, doesn't it? And it was like Popeye. You know, he, he used to see olive oil and his heart used to go like a meter from his head. <laughs> you know? Remember that? You remember those cartoons probably with Popeye and olive oil. And so this is how I felt. And I said, okay, I'll dry the dishes. And she's going on. She's saying, yes, yeah, sometimes I see my brothers try to vacuum and I take, the, I take the vacuum from them because I don't like to see them vacuuming. And my heart is just going crazy. <laughs> This beautiful young girl, and she likes doing dishes, and she, and there, she didn't have this case against, you know, having to show her womanhood in the 1970s. Through, and and um, so anyway, then I couldn't get her off my heart. Just, I was thinking about her all the time, and so I'm praying, God, this can't be right, this can't be good. And so I submitted this to the leadership of the church, and I got them to pray with me and all this. But she was a gracious and hospitable lady, and she got a husband out of this. You know? She was gracious. And we were hospital, we opened up our home, and I got a wife out of this thing. I mean, this was a pretty good deal. God does this sort of thing. If you learn how to be hospitable, gracious, and a servant, what will happen is other people who are like-minded will see that and say, Hey, she's kind of like me. I, I like that. And you end up marrying somebody who is selfless rather than someone who is selfish. You end up marrying someone who is gracious and giving and kind. There are things that happen in life, things that we do in obedience to the Lord, that end up taking us places and causing us to be in places that cause good things to happen in our lives. That's why. The Lord says that we're to do this. And we can call this, this down. I, I'll give you an example. I was in, in the UK. I was a student. 
graduate student, I didn't know how to pack. I had to go away for two weeks, and I thought I had to have like a different shirt for the whole 14 days. And I had a whole duffel bag of stuff, and I got to the UK, and, I, and one guy said, oh, no, don't take a cab, just walk. It's just, you, you know, the university where you're going is just, just, just down the road there, and it must have been like three miles. And that's fine, but if you're carrying this huge, heavy duffel bag, and you know, I was walking, I was getting, and cars were zipping by, and it was hot, and I was getting so tired. And I looked up to the Lord, and I was in graduate school, and we had had many international students in our home. And I said, Lord, whenever there are strangers, and I know that they're there, and they're in my hometown, I minister to them. Would you send somebody to help me? And boom, I mean, a car right then pulled over to pull inside the, the road. He says, you got a heavy bag there. You need a ride? He says, where are you going? I said, I'm going up to the university. He said, sure, I'll take you. And he drove me, and he drove me right there. We drove all around until he found the dorm where I was going to be staying. And he dropped me off. And you can call down the blessings of God. When my kids have gone to live overseas, Shireen will do this all the time. She will, she will, she will say, Lord, we have given to others. Take care of my child when she goes abroad. Lord, put her in a right church, in a right fellowship. Let her meet the right people. Lord, take care of her. You call down the blessings of God in return upon yourself and upon your children because God is gracious. He gives back many, many times over the whole principle of sowing and reaping. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth in the Word of God. And I pray, Father, for these young people that they would learn to be gracious and hospitable and kind to others. Father, I pray that they would learn how to practice hospitality, that it would become for them a practice. Father, I pray that even as the busyness of their lives starts to surround them, the busyness of parenthood, the busyness of of jobs and occupations and careers, Father, I pray that they would not forget that they are called to a practice of hospitality. And through that, that you would bless them many, many times over. Father, thank you for your graciousness. In the name of Jesus. Amen.